Welcome to the Breaking the Startups podcast, where we feature stories of people from non-traditional backgrounds who broke into tech. So when people think of tech, they usually think of software engineering. But in reality, there's so many other great jobs in product, design, sales, and security that many people just don't talk about. Well, on today's episode, we sit down with Kristen Park. And although she started teaching herself how to code, after she graduated from a coding bootcamp, she didn't become a software engineer, but she became a security engineer. And for those of you who are not familiar with the role of a security engineer, check out her story. Kristen basically gets brought in by companies and they ask her to hack their apps and websites so the company can uncover the vulnerability or a leak before a malicious attacker. That's pretty cool. Also, we recently put together a curated list of schools and programs that we trust. Some of the programs even give discounts to our community members who apply using the links. So you can find it by going to breakingtostartups.com forward slash resources. Remember that by doing so, you're also supporting Breaking Into Startups so we can continue to share quality stories of our guests. And of course, by now you probably heard about Breaking Into Startups Challenge. If you are someone who wants a job in tech but you just don't know where to start, you can go to breakingthestarbs.com forward slash challenge and take that first step. I hope you enjoy this and let's break in. Growing up, we're told that in order to be successful, you need to be a banker, a doctor, or a lawyer. That's what the gatekeepers want you to think. But we're part of something bigger. We're part of a technological revolution. Either you're at the table or on the table. Get in the end. 10x. Yo, 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 this is Ruben Harris. I'm here with the homies, Archon Timo Meister, and this is the Breaking Stars Podcast. Timo, can you please tell the people what we're doing today? Yeah, so today we're recording an episode out of Hagbride. It's our second interview of the day, and we have a guest who shares her journey into tech after becoming an engineer. For those of you who don't know, Hagbride is a bootcamp that teaches women how to code. And in this interview, we chat with our guest, who is actually the first person we interview who became a hacker. Ruben, can you please introduce the guest? Yeah, so we're here with Kristen Park, who, like you said, is a hacker. And what's totally really unique about her story is not just that fact, but also that she was, we're fellow musicians, she and I are musicians, but she also manages a music store. She was a biology major. She worked in a lot of veterinary clinics. Now, today's episode, she's going to talk about how she went from learning how to code to following that path, but also to cover covering the security industry. So, Kristen, thank you for being here with us today. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about security and what a hacker is and all that for the people that don't know? Yeah, thanks for inviting me here. Awesome talking no to you guys. So the security industry is it's basically a subset within the software industry. And basically what we're responsible for is making sure that, you know, any information that the software gets stays within the software, stays within the company, and isn't leaked to other people who shouldn't have that info. It's a pretty big industry. What I do specifically is yeah. I hack software, meaning that I break into it, like, you know, one of those yeah. I think about the people in the black hoodies and the black and green <laughs> yeah. screens, like just typing away fiercely. Yeah. So you you do white hat white hat hacking, right? Yes. So I do. give us kind of a little bit of a, an example, maybe of like a client you work with, or, or, or what is a white hat hacker, and then what's like a black hat, hacker? Yeah. or just like what's the differences? Yeah. So a white hat hacker is someone who will hack technology legally, 
and someone who does it as a black hat hacker is doing it illegally. Yeah. So, yeah. And uh, by legally, you mean like it's authorized by the company. The company basically reaches out to your company and invites you to come in and try to hack and find vulnerabilities, whereas the black hat hackers do it without any permissions. And a lot of the time, they're trying to exploit the data or make money from it, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so um, for what I do specifically, mm-hmm. the clients basically mm-hmm. will ask us to come in and hack their software. But there are also programs called bug bounties. Mm-hmm. So that's just where um, you can go to a place like BugCrad or HackerOne. And they, like specific companies have certain guidelines. These are the things that you are allowed to hack. These are the things that you aren't allowed to hack. And then if you find a security bug, mm-hmm. you responsibly disclose it to the company. So you it to the company directly and not the rest of the world and if they verify it and it's a real bug that's an issue then you get a bounty you get money for it interesting interesting and so why is the white hat hacking space so important in this day and age well in this day and age we put a lot of our personal info on the internet and i mean that's just growing as time moves on like technology is such an integrated part of our lives And there's a lot of information that's private that we don't want leaked out, like obviously social security numbers, bank account information, bank account information, yeah, health records especially, credit cards. Oh yeah, and like companies are getting hacked all the time. Mm -hmm. And in this day and age, we're also starting to see even like wars are starting to become even more cyber. Oh yeah, yeah. And so there's a lot of intelligence gathering there too. So. mm -hmm. There is a lot of info out there, and in order for companies to better protect all that info, they need to understand how an attack is going to happen. Mm -hmm. So as a security consultant, as a hacker, what I do is I will go in and try to figure out how a hacker would potentially get all this sensitive information, disclose it to a client so that they can go through their code and fix all the holes so that they're less likely to get hacked. Mm-hmm. Got it. And so, what skills would you say are different for a security hacker versus just a software engineer? There are, there's a lot of similarities. I mean, both of it, you have to know code really mm-hmm. well. Um, an engineer is usually better at like building the code without relying on like Stack Overflow or the documentation. Like It's more ingrained in their head. Whereas for me, because I focus more on security, I have a better understanding of where information can leak in code. Mm-hmm. And Got it's it. interesting that Ruben mentioned in the pre-chat that kind of your background is you're a musician, you studied code, and you mentioned in the pre-chat that there's a lot of parallels between kind of reading music because the notes kind of represent the sounds, right? And then code has... A, can you just talk a little bit about that similarity? Yeah, yeah. Um, and how maybe like that helped you, like reading notes may have helped you with reading code. (laughs) Well, so music is, like the notes is just a language or a set of directions for Mm -hmm. a musician to be able to read, interpret, and be able to play it and create music from it. Code is really similar because you have this syntax. You have a certain way you're supposed to arrange words together so that a computer can go through it and understand the directions that you're trying to do and then execute those directions. So visually, it's very different. Yeah. And you also mentioned like just being in Hackbright, a lot of the, the women were also like language majors or English majors. And that, that also helped with learning how to code as well. And a lot of people don't think about the arts being that way. And then something else that you touched on was your biology background and how that affects you on a day-to-day basis. So I think it'll be helpful to understand you know, what you do on a day-to-day basis as a white hacker and how that testing is similar to like what you do in like biology. 
Yeah. So like with the liberal arts, languages especially, like language is definitely a series of words that are put together in a certain order. It's syntax. Mm -hmm. If you screw up the syntax and the other person on the other hand is like, (laughs) I have no idea what you're trying to say. Yeah. Very similar to a computer. Like you stick in syntax in the wrong order and the compiler is going to be like, I have no idea what you're trying to do. Yeah. I'm just going to sit here and break. So having that very detailed, like logical and analytical mind of being able to understand how things have to be structured together in order for something else to be able to understand what you're trying to do is very important. Yeah. With the security industry and my biology background, I had an interest of going to veterinary school, which is very much... Which is very different than uh, <laughs> hacking systems, right? <laughs> well, there's a, there's a lot of similarities, actually. Because yeah. like with vet school, what what the students learn is how an animal works. Like mm-hmm. what is an... How, is the animal's system supposed to behave when it's healthy and it's working properly? Mm-hmm. And then what happens when it doesn't work properly? What happens when like a disease attacks the system? How is the immune system responding to it? Like, can the body actually handle this disease and then fight it off or does it persist? So it's similar with the security industry where I'm trying to go in, I'm trying to figure out like, how is this client software supposed to work when it's running normally and ideally? What happens if I make an attack on it? Can it handle my attack and thwart it off so I can't get you know the sensitive information that I'm trying to get? Or does it break? Interesting. So yeah. So you definitely drew some parallels between veterinary school and, and what you're doing now. But you also talked a little bit more about the, you had a more technical way to describe what you do related to testing. And then you drew parallels to that to biology as well. Like pen testing or something? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So specifically what I do is pen testing. It's also called penetration testing. So if you look at both, you'll get information that's very similar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, with pen testing, what we're doing specifically is we're given software from the company. Or it can be hardware, too. We test everything, basically. If mm-hmm. It can be connected to the internet. The internet we can test things, it. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, what we'll do is we'll go in and we'll figure out how the system is supposed to work. So you're you're doing these testing these tests on a day to day basis, and like in biology, you are also doing some similar tests as well, too, right? And so, kind of like you were just kind of like talking about how you're understanding systems the way that they work, and just doing some of those type of things, like what you would do on a day to day with the hacking too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Cool. and it sounds like a really cool job. But we know that you didn't go to college to learn how to become a hacker. And you have a very interesting story of how you actually ended up working for this company and doing this amazing job. So can you take us back and share with our listeners what led you to kind of even decide to learn how to code? Yeah. So I went to college to study music. Mm -hmm. I had been playing instruments since I was six, started off with the piano, picked Mm -hmm. up the flute along the way and a bunch of other instruments. Yeah, I when I got to college, I started off as a bachelor of music, which is a performance degree. I was classically trained. Mm-hmm. There's like very little tech involved with the <laughs> classical industry. But when I graduated, I graduated in 2008 when the economy crashed and basically all the major orchestras went bankrupt. And I was yeah. like, I think this is not such a stable life choice. So I got a few odd jobs, ended up working at a pet store that was close to the university that I had graduated from. And one of the biology professors there recommended that I go back and get a bio degree since I was considering going to vet school at the time. So I went back, got the bio degree, 
Also worked at various vet clinics. I volunteered for a while and then worked my way up to a receptionist and eventually a vet tech. But then decided I didn't want to pay the 150 to 250K for school. That's a lot of money. That is a lot of money. (laughs) (laughs) So I decided that I wanted to go back to the music industry and started working as a manager at a local music store. And um, that's really where I was more exposed to the tech side of the industry. I had a few customers who'd come in who did some recording work in L.A., and um, they're always asking me if I had, you know, some tech product or another, but that's that's not really the client base that my store served, but it seemed really interesting. So um, while I was working there, I decided to dabble with coding and see what that whole industry was about. Mm-hmm. I had heard about boot camps, didn't know much about them, so I did some Googling. Took a course on Coursera on Python through mm-hmm. uh, Rice University, I think it was, and really enjoyed it. What do you like about Python and just like learning how to code? It uses a lot of, like when I'm building code, it uses a lot of the similar like thought processes as I have Mm -hmm. to learning music. So a lot of it is like trying to figure out, like with music, I have all these like notes, you know, when you play it, sure, sounds good, right? But music is so much more than that. Yep. There's a lot more depth to it. Yep. And with code, it's like you have this idea of where you're trying to go and the notes aren't written for you, but you already have this goal and then you have to figure out how to get there. So I, I guess found- it's similar to like inputs and outputs, like, you know what the inputs are, which is notes and then output is this beautiful music piece. And now your job as a musician is to lay out all the steps in between. So yeah. It's kind of similar to coding, too. Yeah, it really is. So. That's what I really enjoyed and really, like, that's the thing that I enjoyed about music and mm-hmm. also fell in love with that when it comes to coding. Yeah, and, and you touched on some misconceptions that a lot of people have about engineering that, you know, were relevant to you that you overcame clearly because of what you're doing now. Can you talk a little bit about that? Oh, yeah. There's, I mean, there's a lot of misconceptions about engineers that they have to be really good at math. Like, engineers just kind of code all day. That's... They're not very good speakers. I mean, there are some people who do fall into that stereotype, but there's so many other people who don't. Yeah. Like, I struggled with math growing up. Like, I pretty much had to repeat every single math class I've ever taken in my, in my life. Yeah. But with software engineering, there are areas that are very math-based, yeah. but there are many parts where you don't have to have your strengths there in order to do well. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people find that engineers, just people in general who can relate to other people and communicate are so much easier to work with. Mm -hmm. And I mean, if they have better communication, your product can get built faster Mm because you have that, you know, communication line and everyone's on the same page. Mm -hmm. You can build more like robust code. Yeah. Because you can exchange information faster that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah, that's what kind of, of I, I think that, that was one of the misconceptions I had when I was learning how to code. I, for some reason, I thought that engineers were very like introverted. All they did was stare at a computer screen, screen all, day. all day and <laughs> they coded like eight hours a day at least or more. But then what I found was that actually to be an engineer, you have to communicate really well. There's oh, a lot yeah. of this stuff like you, you want to, before you build anything, you have to architect it. You have to explain what you want to do. You have to get everyone's opinion. There's so much like upfront work that goes into coding that 
like you spend 70% of the time planning and then only like 20, 30% actually building. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. So I think that was a, a kind of an interesting surprise I realized once I became an engineer. Oh, yeah. And yeah. like in the security industry, because so much of the work that we do is we're working with like a company's proprietary info. It's mm-hmm. not stuff that we can like put on the internet for somebody to read. So we definitely need really good communication skills between each other so that we can pass this info along. And then when we do find vulnerabilities in a client's code, we have to be able to communicate with them to say, hey, this is why this is an issue. This is how you would fix it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally. And what was your process to get ready for Hackbrite? And why did you choose Hackbrite out of the other boot camps? I chose Hackbrite because prior to figuring out which boot camp I wanted to go to, I was doing a lot of just like online research. So at that time, I was living down in Santa Barbara and pretty much could only do online research, but had decided at that point in time that software was something that I really wanted to do. Mm. So I actually moved up to the Bay Area and um, started getting really involved in like the meetup circles. What I would do there is I would look at the boot camps that I was interested, figure out like who was an alumni from these boot camps. So mm-hmm. I like, go through LinkedIn and mm-hmm. kind of like, you know. Do some stalking. Stalk. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's what it's for. Gather some intelligence. Huh. Some hunting there we go. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, I would like figure out like who are alumni, who are the instructors, who are some of the founders. And then I would cross compare it with meetups. And see if like there were certain people attending meetups that were easy for me to go to, meetups Mm -hmm. that would provide info that I'd be able to understand. Mm -hmm. I went to a few meetups where it was led by, uh, I think it was one of the founders of someone who was trying to launch a boot camp. And I did not like their teaching style, but Uh was very glad that I did that. I also went to another meetup called Women in Tech. Mm -hmm. And met a whole bunch of Hackbrite alumni through mm-hmm. there. And um, they were all like very well-spoken. They were all had very positive things to say about Hackbrite. And yeah, one of my main concerns with Hackbrite was that it was an all-women's program. Mm-hmm. And the thing about the tech industry is that it's roughly about 30% women, mm-hmm. 70% men. And I kind of thought that a program that was all women would be very sheltered and wouldn't really give me the skill sets that I would need to be able to do well, like in the real world. But it was totally the opposite case, mm-hmm. which a lot of other Hackbright alumni have said. Like, so what was it like going through a boot camp and kind of having this, having this supportive community around you of women who are also from non-traditional backgrounds, who are also trying to teach themselves how to code? It was an awesome experience. Like it's very validating and having that positive support around you and people who understand what the issues in the industry are and being able to be free to talk about those issues was invaluable. Because the thing is like there are, I mean, you always run into people who can be challenging and difficult to talk to, mm-hmm. but I kind of feel like the thing is that there's always a way to communicate with them. You just have to figure out what it is that their communication style is. That and how to address some of the more like prevalent issues in the industry. Like one of the big things that people have talked about about, of women first getting into the tech industry is like salary negotiation. Mm -hmm. Women tend to be underpaid because they don't negotiate their salary very well when they first start. So we had talks about how to do that. What are some of the tips that they shared? 
to negotiate. <laughs> but the other thing too is like the awesome thing about Hackbright is that we have a strong alumni community after we graduate. So because there's so many of us and we're all very open with each other, we can exchange information about like what the average salary is mm-hmm. yep. for a Hackbright when they're starting, what people have made when they've started in certain positions. What- Could you share some of those numbers? If I don't know if it's publicly available or not, but maybe provide ranges and stuff so our listeners get an idea of like what the entry-level roles I think for software engineering, Hackbright does have this information available publicly. I think the current information is that the average Hackbright salary first for their first job is 92k, mm-hmm. I believe. It also, I mean, it varies range, yeah. quite a bit, anywhere from like 60k to 120k plus. Yeah. It really depends on the person. Yeah. But yeah, that's about We're the just average. Just knowing salary. what the range is. Yeah, yeah totally. So take us to kind of, so you got into Hagride. What motivate, like kind of, what was your job search like? And then how did you decide to, how did you land on security industry versus just the typical like software engineering roles? Yeah. So going into Hackbright, I was planning to go back to the music industry. I was planning to work for like Sony or Pandora or Spotify. Partway through the program, We went on a field trip to a company called NCC Group. They're actually the company that I work for now. And NCC Group wanted to talk to us about what the common web vulnerabilities are. Since we built web app projects, they wanted to give us like an intro to that. And I found it fascinating. I only understood about 75% of that. But it was an awesome introduction. About 25% of it. Yeah, I only understood about 25% of it. 75% of it totally went over my head. But yeah, after I graduated, I was like, oh, security is kind of interesting, but mm-hmm. I don't know how to get into it. I went to Hackbright. We, it was designed to launch people into the software engineering industry, not mm-hmm. the security industry. So uh, one of the security consultants that I met over at NCC Group wanted to start like an informal study group. So I was like, sure, yeah, I'll participate in that. Um, rounded up a few students after we graduated, and we started the study group where he would teach us what the most common web vulnerabilities are and why they are that way and how to actually exploit these vulnerabilities. Um, there's like a whole bunch of intentionally vulnerable web apps out there so that you can hack and learn and not have to worry about going to jail. <laughs> so yeah, I was doing that on the side. And then I spent most of my time looking for a software engineering positions. So I was applying to just like a whole bunch of random companies. You were thinking about going back into music tech like Spotify, Pandora. Yeah, exactly. Um, So I was like trying to learn data structures and algorithms, prep for um, whiteboarding interviews. But I wasn't really interested in the problems that a lot of the companies that I applied to were trying to solve. There was like people who were trying to figure out like more data science type of stuff. So yeah. companies ingest all this data and now they have to try to draw correlations. And I'm like, mm, not so interested in that. Yeah. yeah. So I kept going, you know, security, that that's it's a lot more interesting. It's a lot yeah. more in line, you know, with my like medical background. It's just kind of a cooler field in my opinion. Yeah. And it's impactful. I yeah. mean nobody wants their information stolen. So yeah. yeah. At that point, do you feel like you can become a security engineer or a hacker? Because a lot of times, or, like, like security engineers, is 
like an even harder skill to have than just like typical software engineer, right? Yeah, I mean, because the security industry is a subset within the software industry, the mentality currently is that for a security person, engineer, whichever field in the security industry you want to go into, that a security person has to have a strong programming background. There is some validity in that. Like you do have to understand how software works Mm -hmm. in order to be able to find vulnerabilities in it. But I mean, you don't have to do the whole traditional, like get a CS degree, be a programmer for three to five years. And then if you're interested in security, go into the security industry then. I think that's kind of, um, that's a bit of a misconception that the security industry has that I really wish that they would kind of break out of that. And um, that's what we're doing with this podcast. And and NCC Group is like, proof that that's not always the case oh yeah yeah i mean there seems to be like kind of schools two schools of thought or two types of people that security people think do well in security which is the people who have the experience from being a programmer Mm -hmm. and like the prodigy kids who hacked stuff when they're like 13 Mm -hmm. yeah but that's not necessarily the case yeah and i think something else that you touched on that was interesting is that it also tends to be more specialized like you hack web apps but then mm-hmm. there's like a hacking website, hacking like hardware. Like, is that like what are the other types? Yeah, of, what are the other uh, types specializations? of specializations? Yeah. yeah. So within pen testing, people usually specialize in a technology. So pretty much anything that can be hacked can be a specialty. So my specialty is hacking web apps, but there are people who specialize in mobile apps. So any of the apps that you open on your phone, there are people who attack the phone itself. Mm-hmm. Just like there are people who understand how like an OS system is built and attack the OS system itself. The operating um, system, right? Yep, the operating system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there are people who attack the network. So what our internet is built on. Yeah. And make sure that, you know, we're able to at its foundation secure mm-hmm. the internet itself. Yeah. Beyond that, I mean, there are people who do incident response. Mm-hmm. So when a company gets hacked, like when mm-hmm. Yahoo figured out that they had all these extra back doors, mm-hmm. they'll call somebody who's part of incident response and they'll come in and figure out like based on logs, based on, you know, any data that the company has kept track of, try to figure out how the attacker got in and what exactly they stole. Mm-hmm. Are there like independent like security hacker people that kind of like work on their own and do incident response that people know of in the ring that are specialists or no? yeah i mean they're it's usually companies like yeah. they work for companies. contractors yeah, right? contractors yeah. yeah and they just specialize in incident response they're willing to be called at you know two o'clock in the morning and fly out to who knows where in an hour like justice league <laughs> yeah not my cup of tea. I like my sleep. But there are some people who absolutely just love the adrenaline rush that they get from that. So That's what true. is that? So can you talk a little bit more about your team? So it sounds like you came to NCC from Hagbride. What about the other people on your team? What are their roles? And how do you guys all interact? So my team is, we're made up of security consultants. So the team that I work with changes roughly every two weeks. It really depends on the client that I'm working for. Mm-hmm. So. Some clients may have like a hardware component to Mm -hmm. their technology. Like, for example, a lot of TVs are connected to the internet now, Mm -hmm. but you have a box that is connected to the internet. And there is often like what is shown on the screen. And those are two separate things. So like what I'll test is what shows Mm -hmm. up on the screen and there'll be somebody else texting the actual box because that's hardware and I don't do hardware. Yeah. And there are also like software that will you know, have like 
a web app version of it and then there's like a mobile version of it mm-hmm. and the mobile version is actually constructed differently than the web app mm-hmm. so in that case yeah. i'll be working with somebody who has more mobile expertise so the teams yeah. can change yeah oh, yeah and, and to get this type of job i know you talked about the traditional and the prodigy like what's the is the interview process different you, you said the structure is relatively the same but the content's different yeah so the structure is really similar to a technical interview for software engineering it's like there is a phone screen where they figure out are you actually interested in this position do you actually know something about it and then there's often a technical challenge so in software engineering they will often like give you homework so like Mm -hmm. here is a problem we want you to code and build out the solution to this problem Mm -hmm. whereas for me it was like here is a web app hack it Tell me what you found and tell me how yeah. you fix it. So how do you prepare for that type of interview challenge? There are a lot of resources online. Mm-hmm. So for web apps, there is an awesome book called The Web App Hacker's Handbook. Mm-hmm. And that's like our resource that we go to for the basics of anything to do with web app hacking. Mm-hmm. It's a great book for people who are wanting to get into web app hacking. Like It'll give you basically all the basics. There is also a really awesome website slash open source resource group called OWASP, O-W-A-S-P. It stands for um, Open Web Application Security Project. Mm -hmm. And that one's actually, it's designed for developers. So it'll give you like, what are the 10 most common web vulnerabilities? Mm -hmm. Why does it happen? If you are a pen tester or a hacker, this is how you would exploit that vulnerability or this is how you would find that vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And then if you're a developer who's trying to prevent it, this is how you would mitigate it. Mm-hmm. So that one's an awesome resource because mm-hmm. it gives you a whole bunch of cheat sheets on that. And then the other awesome thing that they have on that website is they have a whole bunch of what's called GOAT projects. Mm-hmm. So GOAT projects are intentionally vulnerable web apps. Mm-hmm. So what you do is you can just download it or you can visit the website where it's hosted. And um, you can just practice your hacking skills on it. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. really cool. Really cool. And um, so you talked a little bit about how to get the job, the types of things that you do on a day-to-day basis, the structure of your team. Can you talk a little bit about what people can do? Well, actually, before that, what are some landmark cases or some things, some notable cases that the company as a whole, the NCC group has worked on that you can talk about publicly maybe? Or an example of something that, that can... Yeah, or maybe an example from your personal experience, like what type of things have you helped uncover? Well, okay, so for a public project, yeah. um, when Android was first about to come out, mm-hmm. NCC Group was the consultant company that was called in to test Android before awesome. it was launched. Awesome. So that's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. I think there's always things that we're yeah. finding in yeah. other yeah. projects. One that I thought was pretty funny that I found recently was... a. Uh, I was on a project where it was currently in production, but had just recently been released into production. Yeah. When I was looking through the source code, there were all these comments all over the place saying, do not release this into production <laughs> because this is a backdoor. And like, <laughs> if somebody finds this, they can just own the entire app. And do, it's like, do, do you have like internal security teams? Because like, what a cybersecurity ring that understands that there's white hackers defending everybody else. Do they try to attack the white hackers and like you have to defend yourself against them as well? I assume that at a certain level that that is that yeah. there is. I mean, right now I'm such small fry that yeah. I don't think I'm being targeted. However, I'm sure 
There are people who are very paranoid in the security industry. Yeah. Some of them for very good reason. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Can you talk about type of things, type of vulnerabilities you're finding or like, I think a listeners probably get a, have a pretty good grasp on like just the importance of security, but they may mm-hmm. not realize like the types of vulnerabilities that exist and what they can do to protect themselves. Yeah. And what they can do to protect themselves, especially with like, there's pretty much every day you read about a new case that gets some, some company gets hacked or, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. So one of the most common web vulnerabilities is one called cross-site scripting. And what that is, is so when a website is rendered and you Mm -hmm. see it, it's built off of HTML and JavaScript. Mm -hmm. But like if a company has a form, so Mm -hmm. like say you are registering to be a new user on a website and you're typing in your name, your password and all of that. If they're not handling that data that comes in from those input fields, if somebody types code into there mm-hmm. and their server's not handling it properly, then that code can run. Mm-hmm. So with cross-site scripting, it's specifically for HTML and JavaScript. So if instead of writing your name into this field, you type in some HTML and some JavaScript and then click send, then when that page comes back to you, there. In some cases, you can actually get that JavaScript to run mm-hmm. on their server. Mm-hmm. And that's bad because you can do things like key logging. Mm-hmm. You can, which basically means that somebody track can every keystroke. Yeah, track every keystroke so that they can get your username and password. They can also combine it with other attacks. Mm-hmm. So there's another attack called C-surfing or cross-site request forgery. Mm-hmm. And that is where you can do what's called state changing requests on behalf of another user. So that basically means like if you were transferring money from one account to another at a bank, if you use a combination of JavaScript Mm -hmm. and a bit of other code, you can actually on a very vulnerable website, Mm -hmm. get that money transfer Mm -hmm. to happen to whichever account of your choosing. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's pretty scary. That's pretty wild. And then you, you also talk a little bit more about some things that you started to do to protect yourself. And we talked a little bit about mass surveillance in the beginning. And <laughs> can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, as a user, definitely like don't click on things like you don't know. Don't you have to have like the HTTPS semicolon slash slash? Yeah. I mean, not all websites are available over HTTPS, but okay. like depending on your browser, like with Chrome, if you look on the top left hand corner of a URL bar, if a website is served over HTTPS, which is the secure version, then I think you'll see a green lock. Whereas if it's over HTTP, which that it's not encrypted, so all of your like your traffic can be proxied, it can be man in the middle, so somebody can sit on your mm-hmm. internet request and actually see what's going over the wire. So if it's served over HTTP, I think you'll either it'll either show up in red or you mm-hmm. won't see the green lock. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's a you, good thing to look for. And then use the key, the key you use the key, password manager. Yeah. So definitely do not reuse passwords because the thing is, is that the internet right now is definitely very much a wild west. There are companies that are hacked all the time. What do you use to manage your, your passwords? I use a program called KeyPassX. I use Mac, so KeyPassX, KeyPassX. works for that. Yeah. And then you cover your your webcam 
you have one of those slider. Oh, yeah, yeah. I have a sticker that's over my webcam. And, and that's, there's a reason why 1984 is one of the best sellers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there are things that you can do to prevent people from spying on you, like, yeah. you know, sticking a sticker over your camera. But the thing is, like, I mean, at the NSA level, they've pretty much tapped our internet. So. Yeah. And then, yeah, no, I think, I think there's also things like, do you use Tor Browser or Signal or anything like that? Is that something that's a concern to you at all? I don't use Tor Browser. I definitely use Signal. Yeah. I like it because of its end to end encryption. Not for people that don't it, know what is Signal. So, Signal is an instant messaging app that provides end to end encryption. So, that basically means that when you send a text to somebody else, that text is encrypted. So, it's basically gone through a whole bunch of math that is very, very, very difficult to reverse, if not impossible. Well, impossible meaning that time will, like the sun will burn mm-hmm. out and die before somebody will be able to, like, figure out the combination. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. yeah so, yeah. Yeah. Got it. And we're, we're about to jump into the lightning round. But before we do that, now that you've gone from being um, a professional musician to being a hacker, how does your family, like when you go to Thanksgiving dinners and you tell your friends and family what you do, how do they react to that? <laughs> I mean, my family's pretty proud of it. Yeah, I think they've boasted to a few friends or something, but they also don't quite exactly understand mm-hmm. what I do. So it's kind of mm-hmm. interesting to like hear their version of it. Mm-hmm. Is there a playbook for people that want to follow, like any of your siblings that you want to, that want to follow your path? You'll say, hey, do this, do this, do this to get to the same point that you're in? Ooh, a playbook is hard because security encompasses everything that the internet is because yeah. anything on the internet can be insecure. Yeah. Um, but the big thing would be to find like what it is that you enjoy. And there are like books and online resources for any of those areas. I mean, because my area is web apps. That's really what I have most knowledge of. Mm-hmm. So there is... I mean, for someone who wants to also get into networks, there's a really awesome tool called Kali Linux. Mm-hmm. So that is a VM. It's a virtual machine that you can download that has a whole bunch of tools on it. While it's automated, so you don't really get an understanding of what happens under the hood, which is what you the skill that you really need to understand mm-hmm. in order to do well, it's a place to start. And there's a lot of good books out there. I think um, there's a woman, I think, uh, gosh, I can't remember her name. She wrote a book called Penetration testing. It's published through No Starch Press. No Starch Press has a lot of awesome security books. Mm-hmm. And basically, like, you know, when you go through one of those books, or, oh, if you go online to like YouTube, there is an awesome channel called Computer File, and they have a few like hacker type episodes on there. Basically, whatever you don't understand, mm-hmm. look it up and yeah. figure out how Just it Google works. It. Yeah. That's awesome. And it's intimidating at first yeah. and it's overwhelming. What does a career trajectory look like for someone who's in like security or like hacking and let's say like five, 10 years down the line, what are the different career options available? Ooh, I mean, I can kind of go anywhere in the security industry. Mm. I can stay as a pen tester. I could switch over to defense and do security engineering. Now that I have a bit of background of how attacks work, mm-hmm. I can help build the tools to protect companies from Mm-hmm. like the hacks ever happening in the first place. Some people really love research. So they'll go into researching how like new attacks can happen. Mm-hmm. There are people who are really awesome at just discovering bugs without needing source code. So mm-hmm. there are some people who do bug bounties for a living. 
there are people who like really enjoy the last minute thrill of like doing incident response yeah. of that. There are people who enjoy forensics. So like, you know, taking this hard drive that somebody's tried to burn in a fire and then being able to like actually pick it apart and like getting data off of it. Interesting. Yeah. That's very wow. interesting. Yeah. That's really cool. <laughs> cool. So we'll do the lightning round now. And this is where Arthur Rubin and I will ask you several questions. And we're looking for a, uh, short responses, but responses that are filled with strategies and your tactics or resources that you've used to get to where you are today. Okay. So with that said, uh, Arthur, go yeah, take so it this, away. Yeah, um, question takes it back to the basics. So remember, uh, imagine if you just moved to a new city and you're starting from scratch, you don't know anybody and you only have $100. Like, what would you do and how would you get back in your feet? What city would I be in? Let's say it's, it could be like one of the major cities. It could be a smaller one. It's up to you. Anywhere. Anywhere. <laughs> food and shelter is covered. Oh, food and shelter is covered. Yeah. Okay. If I were trying to do what I'm doing now, I would probably like scope out like what are the meetups that they have there. OWASP has a meetup in a lot of different cities. So mm -hmm. check that out. Try to get to know as many people in the security industry mm -hmm. in that area as possible. There are definitely areas that are hubs for security more than others. Mm -hmm. Like the Bay Area is definitely one of them. So what are the other hubs? The East yeah, Coast is huge in security. DC yeah. or like New York. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think Chicago is also one of those hubs, mm -hmm. too. Nice. That's, um, Chicago's a great city. Yeah. yeah. I've never been there, but it's I heard beautiful. it's awesome. You should check it out. Yeah. yeah. I used to live on Ohio and Franklin. Very nice. Very nice. Going back to the music thing again, as a classical musician, you know, flute can go a lot of different ways. It could go from classical music to trap music with Future's Mask Off. But like, do you, have, do, you, do you have any like particular song that you like that resonates with you that you listen to whenever you are getting into a flow state when you're working or when you want to bounce back through a, a downtime? Yeah, okay. So I listen to pop okay. when I'm like coding just because okay. I need something that's upbeat yeah. and has like good energy with it. Okay. So fight song oh geez i'm like blanking out on her katie name perry. no it's not katie perry she's like she has blonde hair she i can't remember her name it's okay. suddenly pop out. music yeah but katie perry's roar was also on yeah, that yeah, playlist yeah. too and speaking of roaring and animals and veterinary things like what's your favorite animal uh a tiger yeah. tiger yeah. i'm a lion Ooh, yeah. yes the lion family yeah we're out here <laughs> Nice. Cool. So the next question is, it's about uh, giving advice to either like your younger self or someone who is just starting on this journey. Mm -hmm. So maybe to one of our listeners who might be applying to Hagbride or picking a boot camp, what is that one piece of advice that you want them to know? Oh, geez. If it's intimidating, it's okay. Just go for it. And just keep saying yes to things. Like mm -hmm. if the thing if whatever opportunity arises and it seems like it's kind of vaguely along your path, even if you're not sure of it, just say yes. Yeah. See what's out there because you never know who you're going to meet. You never know who you're going to talk to. And yeah, life is a yeah. journey. So you as well. Absolutely. Do you have any, are there any security people that inspire you? Like your top five people that you like, or even top three, or even top person that's like, oh man, I want to be like that person or that people can study? Because you know when you think about tech, people say, oh, Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, Elon Musk. Is there like the gurus of security, like the legendary hackers that people think about? <laughs> oh, geez. Okay, Moxie Marlinspike. Okay. He is the guy who 
came up with Signal. Oh, wow. He's freaking awesome. Like, he's given several talks at DEF CON, Black Hat, which are like the mm -hmm. two big security industry conferences, hacker conferences to go to. It's a good name. <laughs> it's awesome. Do you watch Mr. Robot? You know, I've seen a few episodes. I keep meaning to watch the rest of it, but is that one of these days when I find time. Do you think it's, a, it's an accurate representation of what happens um, if you're a black hat hacker? Um, not necessarily if you're a black hat hacker. I think he does a little bit more gray area things. Uh -huh. Like he has his heart in the right place. Yeah. <laughs> but then like there's some things that he does that are questionable. Yeah. But um, I mean, there are some of the hacking things that he does is accurate mm -hmm. some of the things that he does is obviously just like hollywood Sensational magic and, yeah. yeah and so what can we expect from you the next five ten years <laughs> where do you want to be oh geez on my to-do list is to give a talk at a conference so hopefully you'll see me doing like a technical talk on like hey here's this cool thing that i hacked i want to try my hand on the defense side so going yeah. to security engineering somewhere because yeah. I love writing code, but I don't get to write very much code in my current position. Yeah. Um, I get to read a lot of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then after that, I'm not really quite sure if I'm going to stick with defense or if I'm going to move back to offense or yeah. like try something else. Yeah. I don't know. It's really cool skills. And it sounds like it's, it, it opens up your world to do a lot of things that's deeper than just a, a job. So oh, yeah, very yeah. cool. Yeah. And we need more people in it too. Yeah. yeah. And, how, and how can we stay in touch with you? And we look forward to seeing you pulling up a bunch of other people in this field as well. Because it's inspiring to do it. And like you started like 2015, right? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Started my first coding class in Respect. winter of 2015. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So for the listeners who want to get in touch with you, who are inspired by your story, what is the best way for them to connect with you? Let's see. Best ways. LinkedIn is awesome. Mm -hmm. I'm there at Kristen Park. I occasionally tweet. So my Twitter handle is at 7th Resolve. Mm -hmm. just all spelled out no numbers honestly if you just google my name or you google seventh resolve i'll pop up in a few places mm -hmm. so any of those awesome, um, awesome. yeah well we'll stay well, in touch and thank you chatting with you time. yeah awesome, and we yeah. look forward to seeing, seeing the next things you hack <laughs> thanks yeah, it was yeah awesome talking to you guys thanks right. thanks thanks for checking us out we appreciate you for listening and always love your feedback on how we can do better if you enjoyed this, let us know what you thought on the reviews by going to iTunes, searching for Breaking Into Startups, subscribing to our podcast, and leaving a review. Also, if you know someone who came from a non-traditional background and is looking to break into tech, encourage them to sign up to our newsletter or tell them to join the Breaking Into Startups community on Facebook. Remember, if they don't let you in through the front door, go through the back door, around it, under it, or through it. Let's break in. Let's break in.